So um, talk a bit about, <coughs> after getting married, what uh, course your life took. Well, Althea and I uh, stayed at BYU for two years. I had a bachelor's degree, so did she. Uh, she was secretary of the freshman English program, and I had a graduate assistantship. I pursued a master's degree in English there, and I taught freshman English, and she was secretary of the freshman English program, so we'd see each other during the day, off and on, all day long, as well as we lived in an apartment there in Provo. And at the uh, the end of the two-year period, we uh, I uh, I had a master's degree. We we migrated to Berkeley, California, because I had received a university fellowship at the University of California. And I uh, uh, stayed at Berkeley one year. I, I think there were two reasons for leaving Berkeley. Uh, undoubtedly, an important one was that I I prematurely took their master's the oral examination for a master's degree that they required people with master's degrees from other universities to take. I took it prematurely and I failed it. And while it was understood that I could retake it, and in fact a lot of students failed it and did retake it, uh, it was very discouraging to me. And second, I, both Althea and I realized that we had we had bonded with Utah in our undergraduate years at Provo and then our two years as a young married couple in Utah. And so uh, we transferred back, I transferred back to the University of Utah and entered uh, uh, f uh, for four years and, uh, and acquired a doctorate in English with a minor in history. And Althea, after the first year working as a secretary, she uh, started taking English classes and she got hired as a, as a graduate assistant too. And uh, she didn't work as a secretary anymore. She pursued a master's degree. She didn't ever take it, but she, uh, she had all the coursework for a master's degree in English at the University of Utah. Uh, those were happy years. In some ways, I, I was bedeviled off and on by my extreme anxiety. Uh, excuse me, I'd have bouts of it, periods of it, and uh, was the church playing any role in your life at this point, or had you just ceased in well, all activity? It actually did uh, play a role. I uh, I, I belonged to a, war, a student ward, and, and I would go occasionally. And in fact, at, toward the end of my stay at BYU, at the University of Utah, I, I was in the elders' quorum, and uh, I might have been an instructor. I can't remember what my duty was, but I, I attended. Uh, I uh, was aware that I didn't believe. I but I was socially a Mormon, uh, and, and Althea and I, though we had many friends who weren't Mormon at the U, even there a lot of our friends were Latter-day Saints, and uh, I, I, I felt that I didn't have a, a 
much of an investment in Mormonism. Uh, and uh, at the end of that period, uh, as my doctorate was coming closer, I, I sought employment and ended up with offers from BYU, an assistant professorship at BYU in English, and a similar one from what was then a very small uh, uh, four-year college, Weber State College it was, now Weber State University. But uh, th it was a uh, uh, perhaps 5,000 people. But the salaries were equivalent, they offered. And I recognized that if I went to, had, could make myself enough of a Mormon to go to BYU, uh, that, that I would have access to upper division courses, uh, not only upper division courses, but also graduate courses, probably, which Weber State had upper division courses, but most of my load was uh, under a lower division. And, but I've, I toyed with the idea of paying my tithing. In fact, I think maybe I started paying a little, uh, right then briefly and, and going to church more scrupulously and so on. And, but finally realized, no, that would be a very bad decision to go there because of, it would be an inhibition on what I could say ever after. Uh, because I'd be financially dependent on the church. So I made the decision to go to Weber State, uh, uh, where Althea and I arrived in September of 1965. The, uh, and, and I will say in passing that was a, an excellent decision. I was very happy at Weber State, but it's true I never taught graduate courses there. I did teach honors courses, which were, were strenuous and I had a high level of student in them. Uh, but Althea fit comfortably into that all the way along. Uh, my arrival at Weber State that first year though was probably the emotionally the low, the low point of my life, the, the most critical time of my life I think that uh, because of my uh, uh, my uh, emotional difficulties, um, the this intense anxiety uh, struck me very hard as I arrived at Weber State and took on the duties of teaching. Uh, the uh, uh, I had this overwhelming fear that I would. That the I, I was that the anxiety would block out my ability to be to think and be coherent enough to conduct a class. And I had taught comfortably in, as a graduate assistant in, for four years to at BYU and to at the University of Utah. So I couldn't explain why now suddenly teaching became such a trauma to me. And in consequence, for that whole year, I wrote all of my lectures out so that if I was seized with a block of my thought that I could go just rotely read. And the truth is, is that would kick in about three, four times per hour, lecture hour. Uh, 
in the class that I did find myself so, my mind so seized up with anxiety that I, that all I could do was read. And then I'd get through the, the 40 seconds of crisis and be back to the coherence. But uh, the... Uh, Almost debilitating. It was debilitating. And considering that that was going on for months and months and months, I mean, this is a daily occurrence. If I had any relief from the anxiety, it might have been evenings at home and maybe reading or something of that sort, but most of my waking time was intensely anxious, very uncomfortable. Uh, but what tipped the scales terribly was the birth of Karen and, uh, and uh, our daughter, our only child, in the, the uh, spring of 1965. Now, I, I wasn't yet at Weber State. I was, I was at, uh, uh, still at the University of Utah, but she was born in April, and I discovered her birth triggered this uh, intense anxiety. And again, inexplicably, why, why should a beautiful little child do that to me? I, I couldn't explain that, but it, but it was a fact it did. Uh, I had, I had uh, made some adjustment to her, uh, and in fact, by the time I got her home from the hospital, she was born cesarean, and so Althea was in the hospital a week. And that was really a tough week for me. But by the time we brought Karen home and I could actually hold her myself, they didn't let you do that in those days. They put the kid in the nursery. But uh, when I could actually start holding her, then I started at least relaxing. I, I could recognize that I had a deep affection for her, uh, along with these, fanta the, these emotions over being a, a father. A and... Uh, all of that, plus the this business of breakdown in the classroom over and over and over, all all year long. Not a breakdown, but a near breakdown uh, in '65, '66. In the in the uh, break between the two quarters, spring and summer, '65, '66. A kind of crisis came. I'd been going to a psychiatrist. Uh, I was on a tranquilizer, but it wasn't enough to make any discernible difference in my anxiety. Because if I'd taken more, I wouldn't have. I'd have had another reason not to be coherent. And uh, and I I used a, a the different tranquilizer to sleep on, which blessedly worked for me. But uh, still, my waking hours were extremely uncomfortable and I got to a kind of crisis uh, I thought of suicide but above all most critically I felt like I had to get out of teaching I had no idea what I would do for a living literally but I had to get out and I even started having not paying my bills so I'd have money to make a transition what I don't know to what but uh, the, the uh, psychiatrist 
prescribed antidepressant pills. They took three weeks to kick in, but when they did, it was like a miracle. They worked. And all of a sudden, life seemed good. The, the being a teacher at Weber State seemed good. The being Karin's father seemed good. Uh, it was hard, I couldn't, hardly anything seemed better. It was fine. Uh, and uh, the, I didn't get over being anxious in class quickly, but slowly I weaned myself from note, from writing the lectures out to just notes. And after a while, after I'd taught a number of years, I'd simply review the book in some of the classes I was very familiar with. I just reviewed the book five minutes before class time and go in and teach. But it was a turning point in my life. And in fact, the, uh, the chapter of my autobiography that's titled, uh, what, Coming Out on the Edge of a Commanding Ridge, I can't remember the precise title, uh, something like that has to do with that year and the way it ended and how, uh, or the next two or three years at Weber State and how suddenly uh, my, my life kind of opened up, uh, looked good um, professionally, uh, family-wise, and uh, though I've had many, many recurrences of the anxiety, never nearly so intense and uh, much briefer and essentially, I've considered myself ever since a happy person, but I have to characterize myself for the 10-year period preceding that as basically an unhappy person. That was a pretty unhappy period. And <clears throat> I'm glad to say that, that my life turned around. Two quick questions. Um, <clears throat> did you have to stay on that medication for the rest of your life? No. or It was just like a jump start. Jump start. And then... Uh, how much do you associate this anxiety with the crisis of faith? Or was it just something biological or conditional that was a multiple faceted thing that, you know, well, this, I, this wasn't you fearing your, your ultimate, uh, you know, state of God, yeah. or was it? Well, yes and no. Uh, my anxiety is multifaceted, uh, but... I th I think uh, and and I was trying to use my Mormon faith as a wall, a defense against it. It was in there. It makes me wonder if my mother had it too, but she was successful in keeping her faith up as a wall. Or did my dad have it? Did I inherit it? Did I inherit it genetically from my Swedish father? But uh, that doesn't matter. Uh, the uh, the I, I stopped seeing the psychiatrist about 1976. I'd been seeing him for 11 years thereabout, uh, and I think he considered me cured, and and uh, I I guess I was. Uh, I was reluctant to admit it in some ways then, but. Uh, the uh, in the seventies, before I stopped going to him, that five or six or seven year period, I had some very 
uh, vivid experiences, uh, introspective experiences, where I got exceedingly uncanny insights into into why I was had this anxiety. For one thing, uh, in 1968, uh, at, uh, I'd been appointed to be a director of freshman English at Weber in the English department at Weber State. I flew off to an English professional conference in Milwaukee for three or four days. I'd been a long time without having any of this anxiety. Althea and Karen took me to the airport, and in those days, they could uh, they could go to the loading gate with me. And as we as I departed from them and got on that airplane, all of a sudden I was slammed with the anxiety. And while it stayed for the entire four days, uh, it stopped when I walked off the airplane and saw them. And all of a sudden, I realized there's something about my relationship, and I attributed it not so much with Althea as to Karen. There's something in my relationship to Karen that is healing. And uh, I, I've come to conclude the insights that I got in the early 70s, thinking about that experience, is this, that that... Curiously, if I am in a, a parent-child circle, it doesn't matter which role I'm in, I won't have that anxiety. If I'm the father of a little girl or these grandsons of mine, I don't have that anxiety. Or if I can remember back if, when I was a child, if, if I was my mother's child, I didn't have that anxiety either. Uh, that has seemed like a very secure anchoring insight to me that whatever my the root of my anxiety is it, it was that that's what kept it at bay i was secure against it in that kind of relationship and uh that that's been a a, a, a very helpful insight though the truth is, as I say in my autobiography, I still feel, I can still feel that it's important to me to be in connection with my daughter and now her two sons. Uh, I, I, I can be in either role. I, 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 I do what a father ought to do. I do what a grandfather ought to do. But in doing it, there's this, there's this sense that I'm feeding not only the father and grandfather in myself, I'm feeding the infant, the child in myself. I actually think a lot of, a lot of what goes on between parents and children is that kind of a mutual. The parent feels very fulfilled doing something for the child. It's because doing it also vicariously fulfills the child in the parent. Mm. And uh, so uh, that seemed like me a crucial insight. Mm. Uh, and, and a helpful one, you see, that that even though it, I would like to be more independent, at least I know what to do if I want to have some say, uh, some escape from the anxiety. Hmm. So, how did this uh, 
condition of anxiety, did it, did it become sort of an impetus for your desire to write? Well, I think it did. Uh, it certainly showed up in my writing, uh, and my writing became a factor in it. The, I had had the impetus to write from uh, my first becoming an English major back in uh, my second year of college. Uh, I, I uh, that early thought it would be nice to be an English professor and to be an author. I, I put off writing fiction, however, for many years. Uh, in fact, I was in my 40s, and I had been uh, uh, a long time by then a teacher. I had written scholarly stuff by then, articles. Uh, the, uh, in retrospect, I think it was good for me to wait till I was in my 40s to write because I finally had something to write about. And I don't think I did when I was in my 20s and wishing I could write something and doing some of it, but not successfully. Sure. The, uh, but as I started uh, the, my short stories in the Canyons of Grace reflect uh, a lot of my own experiences and particularly my anxiety, uh, some of it, and the things I'm anxious about, uh, and my belief and disbelief. The, the, uh, uh, Well, I've lost my th thread no, of thought there. No, just wrote writing and and um, so you wrote essays. You published a, f a first book. Yeah, the uh, and it was in your forties. The uh, well, I saw uh, as I was thinking of the stories, uh, and particularly as I moved on from the stories to thinking about a novel. Uh, it was the late 70s when I first started thinking of the novel that would become The Backslider. Uh, I, I got my uh, inner hang-ups pretty prominently involved. The, the, uh, the character Jeremy in The Backslider is a kind of projection of, of a impulse within myself. Uh, this is the brother, Frank Wyndham's brother? Who emasculates himself. Uh, uh, there in the early 70s, uh, one morning, uh, morning after morning, when I'd go down and get ready to go to school and shave, I'd shave, I had an image come into my mind. And it was of a, a piece of wood with crisscross marks on it and feathers mashed into those crisscross marks. And I wouldn't have paid any attention to that if it happened once, but it would come back to me morning after morning when I was shaving, no other time. Uh, it finally dawned on me that what I was seeing was the stump of wood on which we used to chop chicken's heads off at Snowflake. The feathers mashed into the crisscross marks of the axe. And <coughs> the, the, uh, the, 
pretty soon I began having an image, a clear image of the chicken. Always a decapitated chicken jumps for a little while on its feet, up big jumps in the air. But it does so with a with its raw neck protruding, the skin of the neck falls back and you see a piece of the neck protruding. And suddenly I realized that reminded me of my own penis uh, with the foreskin pulled back. And it was bloody and it seemed to me that I wanted to, it had something to do with my fear of, of emasculation. And then there was another image that occurred to me over and over. I saw myself at the edge of my father's grave uh, and I saw myself throwing something into the grave. Now, I knew I had watched my big brothers throw dirt on my father's grave. I'd watched. That was a real memory as they filled his grave. But I knew I had not thrown something in the grave. Somehow that image I had of doing it over and over was an imaginative construction. I, I was convinced of that. But I put the two things together. My mother, the, the self-emasculation or the emasculation and the throwing something in the grave. My mother always wanted me to be a girl, told me so, but then said she had adjusted after three days to my being a boy, and she was very happy with me. She wanted her last kid to be a girl. I was the last child, and she wanted another girl. Her first two had been girls, and then she'd had four boys in a row and wanted this fifth one. Uh, so that I knew my mother would be a little more pleased with me if I were a girl. And while my father, I don't think, ever gave any sign that he was wanting me to be anything but a boy, and I modeled on him, uh, I took him as a masculine model. Uh, I didn't have any way of knowing that uh, the, a father, that my father and mother had different ideas on things. As far as I knew, they were unified. And I've, I opined then that I was making a bargain with my dad. I would throw my masculinity into his grave if he would come back. And while that was a crazy idea, of course, that's what you're dealing with, with a pathology like mine. It's a crazy idea. Uh, but at any rate, whether that's valid or not doesn't matter. It was enough in my mind and convictions that I turned it into a, a character into it. And that's where Jeremy came from. Well, as the novel got written and rewritten, he changed and changed, and as did his brother Frank. And... Uh, there's not too much resemblance between the present Jeremy and the backslider and me, but that's where he started from. And did that have anything to do with, I mean, in today's context, I think, well, homosexuality is such a big issue in some way where you're trying to make some statement about if we oppress people who have homosexual tendencies, maybe extreme consequences will emerge. That's me writing my perceptions into what, or was there any awareness of the plight of a homosexual or the condition of homosexuality or of gender confusion that was also part of what you were experiencing before you wrote the book? 
Well, not, not with yourself, or just yeah, with people you knew, or I don't know. I've always been pretty tolerant of 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 homosexuals, and uh, and in fact, gone far from being merely tolerant. I I endorse entirely their right to be who they, are, you know, openly be follow their gender. But I don't think I don't think uh, uh, that. I had any any concept of that was involved in my uh, the at at that point I, I it wasn't a matter of sexual desire that I was dealing with and incidentally as far as I can tell uh, my interests have been awfully strong on what women have rather than what men have I I, I can't see the homosexual impulse in myself sure sure. But, uh, but nor was it for, from a written from the standpoint of empathy or sympathy for someone with same-sex attraction at that time. No, no, it wasn't. It was. Uh, uh, I think. I think that as the novel grew, and I got, I grew into the Frank and his relation to his mother Margaret that uh, Jeremy almost became a supernumerary, that he wasn't a very important character. But it dawned on me, since I had, as I started the first chapter of The Backslider with the Frank Wyndham who now exists in my novel, as I started that, I realized if, if I kept Jeremy, the, the uh, what that first chapter does is shows that Frank, Frank and uh, Frank is a composite of the the uh, the, the rebel. Uh, 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 Frank is partly comic and he's partly very serious. Uh, that eventually he's so serious that he may. Uh, he considers emasculating himself or killing himself in an act of blood atonement. But uh, every other page, Frank is funny. It's comic. And I realized, I think, that I could use Jeremy pretty nicely to be both uh, a, a sobering character, but also a character that you could make humor out of. And so I think that's one of the reasons I kept him, and uh, and developed him as as intensely as I did in the novel.